Hi there. I'm Sue Peshin, President and CEO of the Alliance for Aging Research, and you're listening to our podcast, This is Growing Old. Today, we're going to be talking about something that is quite common, but that you might not have ever heard of before. It's called sarcopenia. Joining me is Dr. Jack Goralnik, Professor of Epidemiology and Public Health at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Jack is going to talk about health issues impacting older adults, including sarcopenia. Jack, thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Sue. First, let us know, how have you been coping during the COVID-19 pandemic? I've been doing pretty well. Fortunately, no one in my family has gotten sick. We're all trying to stay out of trouble. In relation to aging, I do have parents who are in their late 90s who are actually still living in independent living, but it's been a really difficult, frustrating time for a number of months. We couldn't see them at all. We're now able to visit them in a very limited basis. Uh, during the summer, we saw, saw them outside wearing masks. Now we're allowed into their apartment, but only for one hour. I myself am doing well, but I see how, how difficult it is for a lot of people, especially the older people in the society. Very, very true. And I have experienced that with my own parents, so I hear you. Well, the Alliance feels very fortunate to have you serve as chair of the Science Advisory Board for our Aging in Motion, or AIM, program, which works to educate and advocate for research in the areas of sarcopenia and age-related functional decline. What exactly is sarcopenia, and what are some of the highlights of the latest research in sarcopenia? Sarcopenia is age-related loss of muscle and the consequent loss of physical strength and ability to perform uh, normal daily activities. It, uh, it's an interesting word. It comes from a Greek, the Greek roots sark, which means flesh, and penia, which means loss of or lack of. So it is uh, simply the loss of, of muscle um, in the body. It's an area that uh, is, is somewhat new in the aging world, although it's, it's been a universal component of aging. We start losing muscle when we're in our 30s, where we reach our peak, and then it goes down slowly. But in some people, especially when they hit their, their, their late 70s, 80s, and into their 90s, in some people, this loss of muscle accelerates. And we're, we're learning now about the reasons for that acceleration. But as that happens... It can cause really profound problems with, with uh, loss of strength. So people have trouble climbing stairs, getting out of the chair, doing anything uh, down to opening jars that, that requires strength. Uh, fortunately, there's been a lot of research and the amount of research in, in sarcopenia has been growing. One, one area that's been a challenge in sarcopenia is coming up with ways of clearly identifying who has the problem. One way that's been used is to do use a machine called a DEXA machine. This is a machine that people may be aware of um, getting scans for, for uh, loss of bone and, and osteoporosis. Uh, these same machines have been used to assess uh, lean body mass, uh, which is the component of the body that's not muscle uh, and not fat. Also called, it's also called fat-free mass. The problem is, is that this is not really a terribly good measurement of actual muscle mass because 
the fat-free mass includes not only muscle, but it uh, includes things like water and the organ weight and a number of other non-bone, non-fat, soft tissues in the body. So when we, when we measure uh, fat-free mass, we're only measuring only about 50% of it, of this lean or fat-free mass is actually muscle. So the research has been hampered by this measurement issue for a long time. And some of the associations we expect to see between the amount of muscle we have and how we function have, have not really looked as clear as, as we had hypothesized them to be. Well, there's a, there's a whole new way of measuring muscle that, that had recent work that I'm very excited about. It's called D3 creatine dilution. And, and what this method does is it has a labeled isotope with a substance called creatine, which is, which is a protein that's in all the skeletal muscle in our body. People are given a capsule that has this labeled creatine in it. It distributes itself throughout all the muscles in the body. And then from two to four days later, we simply take a urine sample and measure the proportion of the labeled creatine to the, the normal unlabeled creatine. And since we know how much creatine we gave them, we can then calculate how much actual muscle mass they have. And, and the early work with this has, has just been very impressive, showing very clear relationships between the amount of muscle that people have and their ability to function in a number of different ways. And this method is so sensitive that it's now being used in babies and young children in third world countries to follow the effects of malnourishment and how they regain muscle when, they're, when their uh, nutritional intake is improved. And this is work that's been funded by the Gates Foundation. So you have a very sensitive measure of, of how much muscle is in the body. And this is a, a really good method that's going to support a lot of work in trying to build muscle in older people who have lost it. There are a number of other assessments that may improve our ability to identify muscle and, and, the, and the change in muscle quantity. In the area of interventions, some of the pharmaceutical interventions that had looked promising have, have not panned out all that well, but there still continues to be a lot of work in nutritional interventions and specific amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein that support the increase in, in muscle mass. Also in, in exercise interventions that can be very effective in preventing loss of muscle or even building muscle in older people. The other thing I've seen in terms of recent research is a real surge in the approach to research on sarcopenia in specific diseases. So we're st starting to see a lot of research come out now that addresses the issues of sarcopenia in cancer, liver disease, heart disease, heart failure, diabetes. All of these conditions can be linked to sarcopenia, which can have a very profound effect on quality of life and ability to function independently. It's been very, very nice to see this field really grow. And the Aging in Motion Coalition has played an important role in bringing the importance of sarcopenia to the attention of both clinicians and researchers. That's really great to hear and a terrific overview. I think in particular, it sounds also like some of this research, as it relates to other types of chronic conditions, might help improve treatment and recovery related to those chronic conditions, which could also be pretty groundbreaking. 
So the Alliance for Aging Research recently released a new video to raise awareness about sarcopenia that I know you helped us review. Why do you think awareness of sarcopenia is low and what steps can we take to help raise awareness? That's a good question that those of us in the field often ask ourselves in terms of awareness being low. And I, I kind of think back to 30, 40 years ago when people were start, first starting to really become aware of uh, Alzheimer's disease and dementia. For, the, for a long time, dementia was thought of as just a normal part of aging. If you got old enough, you, you lost your mental capacity. And then it took some work to educate people to the fact that, no, it's not a normal part of aging, that it's a, a disease or a condition that we need to address and that, that people need to be aware of and we need to do research on. And, and sarcopenia, this, we're really in the early stages of that. People have assumed that, that, that getting weaker and losing physical abilities are kind of a normal part of aging, but, but they're not. And we see examples of people who, who do well into their 80s and 90s and stay highly functional. So understanding what goes wrong when there's an accelerated loss of muscle, we're not going to stop all muscle loss. There are a number of physiologic parameters that do affect muscle loss over time, and we see everyone losing some strength over time. But what we need to do is address this accelerated loss of muscle. And um, part of increasing awareness is, is to educate clinicians. Most physicians are not really aware of the work that's uh, going on in sarcopenia. And again, that's something that the Aging in Motion Coalition has really been addressing. And then the general public needs to address sarcopenia. I've I've given lectures to groups of older people in, in living in independent living and in the community. And when they hear about this, it really makes a lot of sense to them. And they, uh, in, in some ways, I was told at one facility that after, after hearing about this in, in my lecture, that the, the attendance at exercise class just shot up, that people really re realized that, that this, this loss of strength was something that was affecting them and that they could do something about. So I think when people become more aware of it, they're going to become more engaged in asking their physicians about it and also becoming more active physically to prevent some of the effects of sarcopenia. I love that bit about signing up for the exercise class. That's fantastic. To me, that's like a, a complete testimony to why education, health education can be so empowering for people because when they know about something, they feel like there's something they can do about it. You know, it really allows them to take charge of their own health. That's great. So congratulations on receiving the Alliance for Aging Research's 2020 Daniel Perry Founders Award. As you know, this award is presented to an individual who is helping to change the paradigm of how we view aging and well-being as we age. What do you think needs to be done to change how we view aging? Well, the most obvious answer to that is that we need to make the case that you can stay highly functional and engaged as you age, that we need to view aging not as a dark part of life, as the part of life that no one wants to live through, but, but a time of life that, that can be high quality and very satisfying. Now, not everyone can be in perfect physical condition as they reach old age. And we think need to avoid saying that successful aging only includes those 
who are still able to say run around the track or continue to perform at a very high level. Many of us, despite having good health habits and taking care of ourselves, will develop some chronic conditions as we age. And so I think that another way of viewing successful aging is the ability to, to have a good quality of life and, and life satisfaction, even in the face of, of having a chronic disease, or in the case of many older people, having multiple chronic diseases. And I think the medical care system, the rehabilitation interventions that can be done can help people maintain good quality of life, even in the face of some chronic conditions. So I think we can also view aging not as a situation where you get sick and then, and then life is awful, but one in which you can respond in a vigorous way to illness, can be resilient to the point where you, you're still living a full and, and satisfying life as you age with chronic disease. Great. I love, yes, and we very much subscribe to that framing. So in your opinion, what are the most pressing issues older adults face today that must be resolved? That's a big question. <laughs> and uh, if you brought together a big group of older people, you'd, you'd hear a lot of different issues that people want. I, in, in thinking about this kind of stepping back in the, the big picture, I think, I think health care and integrated good health care is, is probably a really important issue to, to most older people. We, we have a, a terrific health care system in many ways in this country. You can get some of the best care of anywhere in the world, but we have a system that is, is just doesn't run very well. And, and, and the thing where I see the biggest problems is, is how it's, it's not integrated. People don't have a primary care provider who, who can oversee all of the, the details that people are concerned about. We end up getting sent to multiple specialists who often don't talk to each other. So the splintering of healthcare can make it very difficult. And as a consequence, we see people who are on just an amazing number of drugs, 15, 20 drugs, and the physicians who are prescribing them are specialists in different areas and not, not talking to each other. So it's just one, one example of where healthcare really needs to improve. Getting off of the health issue, the, the, the area of financial security, I think, is a really pressing issue facing a, a large proportion of our older people. When you look at how little Social Security pays, it's, I, I just don't myself understand how people who are only receiving Social Security can survive um, these days. It just doesn't seem like enough money to really be able to make it. I think another pressing issue is the whole area of social change that we've seen, not just during this past year where it's been incredibly powerful and, and difficult, but but really over the past couple decades, families often are not living in the same geographic area. You have people who just don't get to see their children and grandchildren very much. Loneliness is, a, is an issue that many, many older people are dealing with, and it's a very pressing issue for them. And so psychological factors, anxiety and depression are areas that uh, really impact people's lives in a, in a big way. So those are, those are three general areas. We could go on and on, but there, there are lots of challenges for older adults, and, and the COVID pandemic has, has not helped those at all. It has made, made them even more difficult. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think you raised some of the key issues of our time right now. And I think it's comforting when people hear them said out loud. So I appreciate you going through those. So when you were a kid, I'm changing course here a little bit. When you were a kid, what did you imagine growing older would be like? That's an interesting question. So I, I don't think I thought a whole lot about growing older. When you're a kid, being 30 seems to be so far away that old age just is, is not part of your reality. I had two grandparents who were immigrants from Europe, and they seemed to be pretty sturdy people. My my grandma cooked meals for many, many people, even in her 70s, early 80s. I don't remember them talking about aging, complaining about getting old. Now, I was still a little kid when, when, when they died, so I probably just didn't hear that. That didn't really uh, you know, affect my image of growing older. I suppose that in, in a general sense, I just thought I would get smarter and smarter as I got older. I'm not sure that's exactly the case, but... I think we do get somewhat wiser and have a better sense of the world around us uh, as we age. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. So what do you enjoy most about growing older now? I think life seems like less of a struggle now. You're not, as, as, as you reach older age, you're, you're not pushing quite as hard. You can enjoy what you've accomplished and, and not feel like you have to keep competing at the highest level anymore. And, and that's a bit of a relief. I think that when you are older, you have relationships that you've had for many, many years. Sometimes I'm astounded when I think about how long I've known some people. And it's very comforting to have those relationships and, and be able to interact with those people and go. It's, it's like even people that you don't, haven't seen for for a long time, and it, it, it's like you go back and interact with them, and it's like you've only been apart for a week. You're, you're just so familiar with them. So uh, that's a nice thing in, in older age that you have these long, long established relationships. And then I certainly have enjoyed watching my children become adults. It's satisfying to see that either I did something right or I'm just lucky that I have kids who have have, have done well. Still waiting for grandchildren, and my wife and I are very anxious to have them, but we're trying not to put too much pressure on. Both our children are, are married, so they're candidates for children, and that will happen someday, we hope. I think it's good to put out a little subtle message on a, on a uh, <laughs> podcast here, so make sure they tune in. I will, for sure. So, Jack, thank you so much for being on our show today. It's really been wonderful talking to you. Okay, it's my pleasure. I'm glad we got to talk. You too. Thank you, Sue. Thank you so much for listening to This Is Growing Old. Check out the show notes for this episode for a link to our new film about sarcopenia, as well as Jack's interview with Alliance founder Daniel Perry. We encourage you to follow the Alliance on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit agingresearch.org to learn more about age-related conditions, diseases, and issues that impact the health of older Americans. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe now and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thank you and have a wonderful day.